Welcome to Andrew's Audio Tours of Early Christian Rome, the podcast that helps you see how Rome's most famous sites are connected to the New Testament and the early church. This series of tours is designed to be used on the ground. Listen along and I'll walk you through what you see while you're standing at a particular spot in Rome. These are video podcasts, which means that there are images embedded at certain points. Depending on the device that you're using, you should be able to see some photos on your screen that will help you get the most out of this tour. Paul of Tarsus was a Christian missionary who traveled throughout the first century world, spreading what he called the good news of Jesus. He founded several churches in the Eastern Mediterranean, and he is traditionally believed to have written 13 books of the Christian scriptures. Later in his career, Paul traveled to Rome. It seems probable that his journey ended here, in this spot where you're standing. What happened that brought Paul to this place? Your tour begins by standing in the atrium garden, which lies in front of the church. Stand near the large statue of St. Paul if the weather is nice, or under one of the porticos if it's raining. Restart your tour when you're in the right spot. You're standing on the grounds of an ancient site and until relatively recently, it was the home of an ancient church building. Paul was buried on this spot, but we'll get to that in a minute. Shortly after Paul was buried, the early Christians built a memorial to Paul above his tomb. We'll also talk more about that in a moment. But around 324, the emperor Constantine built the first church on this spot. This building was eventually demolished, and the Roman emperor Theodosius, who also made Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire, he began a much larger church on this spot in the 390s. This church went through almost 1,500 years of damage, repair, and occasional embellishment. But almost alone out of all the other churches of Rome, this was a major basilica that retained its original early Christian appearance. That changed on the night of July 15th to 16th, 1823. The lead roof was being repaired, and it's assumed that this work is what started a fire that night. But somehow, the roof caught fire and fell into the church below. Temperatures became so hot that stone columns within the church exploded. Much of the building was destroyed, and one of Rome's most ancient structures was lost. Pope Pius VII was on his deathbed at the time, and the story goes that no one wanted to tell him the terrible news. He died three days after the fire, still believing that one of Rome's greatest treasures was still intact. While there were a few ancient survivals, including the tomb of Paul, much of what you see today was rebuilt in the aftermath of that 1823 fire. The present church is virtually identical in size and shape to the one that was destroyed, so you do get a sense of what the original church would have been like. But almost everything that you see is, sadly, a reconstruction. Take a look at the large statue of St. Paul in the courtyard. It was created in the 1800s, and it shows Paul holding the sword with which he was believed to have been beheaded. The Latin inscription is the dedication, quote, to the preacher of truth, to the teacher of the nations, end quote. Paul is considered one of the most important figures in Christianity after Jesus himself. Paul was originally called Saul, and he was an observant Jew. But in the 30s AD, Paul believed that he received a revelation from the resurrected Jesus. Paul continued to consider himself a Jew, but he came to believe that Jesus was the Christ, an anointed figure that many Jews believed would usher in a new era. 
Paul undertook multiple missionary journeys, traveling thousands of miles across the Mediterranean to tell others about Jesus. These journeys were not easy. In Paul's letter to the Christians in the city of Corinth, Paul describes his journeys in this way. Quote, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have worked hard and long, endured many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm." End quote. After ranging across the Mediterranean world, how did Paul's body come to lie here? We'll cover that when we get inside. You can enter the church now. You'll probably use the main doors. They contain scenes from the lives of Peter and Paul, and when the doors are closed, they also make a cross shape. If it's a jubilee year, the holy doors to the right will be open. The holy doors are sealed up all other times, so if you're visiting during a jubilee year, you should take the opportunity to walk through them. Enter the church and stand at the back of the nave, the long central room of the church. Restart your tour when you're in the right spot. This building is an excellent example of what an early Christian basilica would have been like. In the earliest periods of the church, there were few buildings dedicated specifically for Christian worship. Once Christianity became more mainstream after the time of Constantine, Christians began building church buildings in the style of basilicas. A basilica was originally a type of Roman government building. Basilicas contain rows of columns along both sides of a main hall creating a series of aisles that divide up the space. You can see that this basilica has four rows of columns, creating a total of five aisles. At the opposite end from where you are standing is the apse, a semicircular recess with a half dome. When the basilica was a government structure, this was where the Roman magistrate sat. In Christian architecture, this became the location of the altar. The central aisle has walls that are higher than the flanking aisles, so that the clerestory windows near the ceiling can admit light. This is also a classic feature of Roman government basilicas. This church was built to mark the location where Paul is believed to be buried. Paul wrote a letter to the churches of Rome in the mid-50s AD. From that letter, it's clear that Paul himself had not yet visited Rome. One purpose of Paul's letter was to introduce himself to the Roman Christians, and in chapter 15, Paul explained how he wanted to visit Rome and to stay there for a time. But Paul said that his ultimate goal was to travel from Rome to Spain, where few Christians existed and where Paul would have ample opportunity for his missionary work. Paul hoped that the Roman Christians would support him financially on his trip to Spain. Walk forward now to the Triumphal Arch. It's supported by two enormous columns, and it separates the nave from the altar. As you walk, take a moment to notice two other interesting features of this church. First, about midway up the walls, a line of portraits runs around the church. These portraits depict all the popes of the Catholic Church, at least according to Roman Catholic tradition. 
Only the most recent popes are depicted according to their actual likeness. All the rest are stylized. And second, as you near the triumphal arch, you'll see a giant candlestick, about five meters tall. It's made of marble, and the shaft depicts several scenes from Christ's death and resurrection. This candlestick dates from the 1100s, and it's still lit each year as part of the Easter Vigil. Restart the podcast when you've reached the triumphal arch. The mosaic on this arch is one of the few elements of the original church that survived that 1823 fire. It's probably meant to depict a scene of heavenly worship, as described in the biblical book of Revelation. The head of Christ is at the center. Above Christ are four living creatures who are believed to symbolize the writers of the four Gospels in the New Testament. Beside Christ are 24 figures, probably the 24 elders mentioned in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. Below Christ are Peter and Paul, who were remembered as Jesus' most important followers. Peter is on the right, and Paul is on the left, pointing downward toward the location of his tomb in this church. At the very top of the arch, against the ceiling, the inscription refers to the emperors who constructed this church. It reads, quote, Theodosius began, and Honorius completed, the building made sacred by the body of Paul, end quote. This inscription would date this arch to the early 400s AD. But based on the artistic style, the scene on the arch may have been reworked around 800 AD, and there have been periodic restorations since then. If Paul had never visited Rome at the time he wrote his letter to the churches of Rome, how did Paul's body ever arrive in this place? A book of the New Testament called the Acts of the Apostles says that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem after being accused of defiling the Jewish temple. Acts says that Paul was then taken to Rome around 60 AD and that he spent two years under house arrest waiting to have his case heard by the Roman Emperor Nero. At that point, the Acts of the Apostles abruptly ends. There's no indication of what happened to Paul or to how his legal case was resolved. What happened to Paul after that? It's not completely clear. Beginning around 100 AD, Multiple sources and traditions in the early church claim that Paul did reach Spain and that he preached there, just as he told the Roman Christians that he wanted to do. Because of this, some scholars believe that Paul may have been released from his first imprisonment in Rome. According to this theory, Paul would have been arrested a second time and returned to Rome for a second Roman imprisonment. But whether he was imprisoned in Rome once or twice, there is widespread Christian tradition that Paul was killed in Rome during the reign of the Emperor Nero. Modern historians see no reason to doubt this broad claim. Let's make a last stop at the exact place where Paul is said to be buried. It's located right below ground level in a space called the Confessio. Restart this podcast when you're in the right spot. Here in the Confessio, you can look through a small window under the main altar to see the side of an ancient sarcophagus. Is this really Paul's tomb? It seems quite plausible that it is. Writing around 200 AD, 
an early church leader named Gaius wrote about how monuments to the founders of the Roman church could be found on the Vatican Hill and on the road to the harbor city of Ostia. The monument at the Vatican refers to the marker erected on Peter's grave, and the one on the road to Ostia marked Paul's grave. You're standing right now beside the ancient road to Ostia, so this seems like a plausible location for Paul's grave. But how do we know that this is indeed the right spot? Why not somewhere else on the road to Ostia? There has been a fairly strong chain of tradition marking this as the spot, and several interesting tidbits make this a plausible location. But unfortunately, there has not been as much archaeological work here as there has been at Peter's tomb beneath the Vatican. Extensive excavation beneath St. Peter's has proven beyond any reasonable doubt that Peter's tomb lay exactly where tradition said that it did. Here at St. Paul's, a limited excavation from 2002 to 2005 revealed a few intriguing hints. A slab from the late 300s was found, and that slab was labeled Paul, Apostle, and Martyr. So someone in antiquity believed that this was the right place. That later slab covered an earlier tomb. The tomb itself was not opened by archaeologists, but it was examined with a probe. Bone fragments were found, and they were radiocarbon dated to the 1st or 2nd century. All that makes it plausible, though not certain, that this is indeed Paul's tomb. How did Paul die? It's quite possible that Paul was killed specifically because he was a Christian, making him one of the first martyrs of Christianity. A great fire swept through Rome and destroyed much of the city in July of 64 AD, and a Roman historian named Tacitus says that the Emperor Nero scapegoated the unpopular Christians and blamed them for starting the fire. Many early Christian sources say that Paul was beheaded by Nero. If this is the case, then Paul's death would likely have occurred after the Great Fire of Rome in July 64, but before the end of Nero's reign in June of 68. Here at Paul's tomb, you stand in the presence of a man who had a tremendous influence on the Christian movement, and by extension, on the world. Paul's letters exerted a tremendous influence on the new faith, and his single-minded dedication to spreading his message helped to cement Christianity's outlook as a missionary religion, seeking to win converts. And the faith that spread was greatly influenced by Paul. Many of the words and concepts that are most associated with Christianity today come not from Jesus himself, but from Paul's explanation of Jesus. Most of all, Paul's experience of imprisonment and death was one of the first witnesses to the devotion that the early Christians felt toward Christ. Many early Christians were willing to face almost any hardship convinced that they would encounter Jesus through their suffering. Paul wrote a letter from prison to Christians in the city of Philippi. This may have been during his imprisonment in Rome, but whenever it was written, Paul's letter to the Philippian Christians reflects his attitude towards suffering for Christ. Paul wrote, quote, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the good news about Jesus. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. End quote. It's likely that Paul's wish for death was granted here in Rome, sometime during the reign of the emperor Nero. Christians buried his body here, on the road to Ostia. But they continued to remember the life and death of this man, who did more than any other to transform the message of an itinerant Jewish peasant into a worldwide faith. Standing here, you're just the most recent in a long line of people who have come to connect with Paul in this place. That's all for now. Gavin Spell is the audio engineer for these tours, and he also performs our music. If you have feedback about these tours, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at andrew at andrewgarnett.org. That's A-N-D-R-E-W at A-N-D-R-E-W-G-A-R-N-E-T-T dot org. I hope that we meet again soon, and for both of our sakes, when we do, I hope that we are standing in the streets of the Eternal City.